Tony Hines here, and you're listening to the Chain Reaction Podcast, all about supply chain advantage. This is the News Roundup, all things impacting global supply chains this week. Iran seized an oil tanker bound for the United States. It's a Marshall Islands flagship, and it's carrying Chevron oil. And it was bound for the port of Houston. The Straits of Hormuz, of course, is that tiny stretch of water between Iran and Oman. And it's a narrow strait through which a great deal of global shipping moves through, and particularly oil tankers. The ship was boarded by helicopter, and negotiations are currently taking place to release the ship. The ship itself is owned by China-registered company SPD BFL, number 187 Tianjin Ship Leasing Company Limited. The US Navy has called on Iran to immediately release the tanker. Of course, the US Fifth Fleet is based at the Gulf Island state of Bahrain. About one-fifth of the world's crude oil and oil products goes through the Strait of Hormuz, and it's considered to be a narrow choke point between Iran and Oman, which the ship in question, the Advantage Suite, passed through. It's become a more common occurrence to see ships that pass through the Straits of Hormuz particularly by Iran. The United States seized Iranian oil off the coast of southern Africa on a Marshall Island-flagged ship called the Ambray on the 22nd of April. And it confiscated the oil from that ship because it was in breach of sanctions. So the event we've witnessed following that a few days later, when the Iranians took the other Marshall Island-flagged ship, also an oil tanker, seems to have been a tit-for-tat operation. Amazon's share price initially rose this week on better-than-expected news on profits. But within hours, a statement by the chief financial officer regarding a fall in revenue for the cloud-based services of 5% in the second quarter sent the shares tumbling. So the initial rise of about 125 billion on the share price, was rapidly disappearing. Amazon said it's helping businesses lower their bills in cloud services because it wants to build long-term relationships. It's under pressure, of course, from Microsoft and Google in the cloud space. Amazon CEO Andy Jassy has said we're in an uncertain economy and he's tried to cut costs across the board to mitigate risk in these uncertain times. Tighter US rules banning imports from China's Xinjiang province are compounding pressures on Vietnam's apparel and footwear industry. It's hitting a sector that's already shared nearly 90,000 jobs since October, according to Reuters, and demand for products have slowed. Vietnam has faced the worst hit from the Uyghur Forced Labour Protection Act, UFLPA. And you'll remember last week, I said there were lots of goods held up in US ports because of the UFLPA. The law has been in place since June, and it requires companies to prove that they don't use raw material or components produced with forced labour from Xinjiang province. The US clampdown has caused pain and it comes on top of a drop in clothing demand from richer nations. 
There's about 15 million US dollars worth of apparel and footwear shipments held up for the UFLPA checks, and more than 80% of the 15 million is from Vietnam. Only 13% of its cargoes were cleared for entry through US Customs, according to the April data. US importers are still fairly relaxed about the situation, but their supply chains could be disrupted as a result of the clampdown, and particularly from products coming from Vietnam. Vietnam's apparel production depends heavily on China for their input of materials, according to the Vietnamese Manufacturers and Trade Associations. US Customs checked 3,600 shipments worth more than $1 billion from a range of countries and, of course, across different goods. 90% of the cotton used in Vietnam clothing production is imported from China, so it's particularly at risk, and much of it comes from the Xinjiang region. It will be difficult to untangle the supply chains, of course, because many of those apparel companies in Vietnam have Chinese investors, and so the ownership of those units, many of them are Chinese. There was an interesting article I came across uh, this week from Lorianne LaRocco, and she reports for CNBC on supply chains, writing in Freight Waves this week for CNBC. And she'd done an analysis of uh, rail freight data in the US, and it shows quite clearly that there's a move from West Coast to East Coast. So while the West Coast traffic is down and the revenue streams are down, on the East Coast of the US, there's much more evidence that rail freight has increased. So from the East Coast ports inland to Chicago and from Houston in Texas. And so there's some rebalancing going on in the need to have transportation in different locations. And that's likely to continue if this trend continues. While volumes everywhere are up on the 2019 figures, she noted that weaker consumer spending, inflation and bloated inventories were affecting Union Pacific's earnings, reported last week. On the East Coast, Norfolk Southern reported increased freight volumes of merchandise and coal. And then she put an interesting chart showing demand for East versus West Port Rail and trucking demand. And it clearly shows that while demand, while demand is down on the West Coast, in California, it's up on the East Coast. And there's growth in areas such as Texas and the Midwest, where they're actively hiring. Trucking is needed for both container pickups at ocean terminals and rail ramps. And there's an increase in containers traveling inland to Chicago, Dallas, and Atlanta. So a very different picture on the East as opposed to the West Coast. And so I thought that was an interesting way to track what's happening with freight movements in the U.S. So thanks to uh, Lorianne Rococo for that analysis. There's been a big logistical operation going on this week in Sudan, trying to get civilians out of the war zone and move them back to the United States for U.S. citizens and to the U.K. for U.K. citizens and to Germany for German citizens. And... Those operations are quite tricky, quite difficult, 
and the suspension in the wall through the ceasefire appeared to hold reasonably well while that was happening. But it hasn't been easy for people to move out of that country and there have been some criticisms about the slowness of response. But I have to say, it's very difficult in the best of times to get logistical operations running smoothly. And I think the people who've worked on the operation need to be commended for their bravery and, of course, for their efficiency in what they've managed to do. So we hope that comes to a satisfactory conclusion. Now, the big news in the United Kingdom during the bank holiday weekend are the preparations taking place for the coronation of the king, King Charles. And I was reminded when I was thinking about this of how such an event creates demand in an economy and can, of course, cause problems in the supply chain through the bullwhip effect as demand is amplified in different parts of the supply chain. But nevertheless, this demand that takes place for this event will be a welcome boost to the UK economy. And of course, it attracts visitors from around the world to the UK. And people talk about the cost. And yes, cost is important and cost needs to be controlled in all kinds of public expenditure. But I'm reminded of the fact that when there is public expenditure at scale, it usually creates demand and it usually stimulates the economy. So let's hope that the economy is stimulated through this public expenditure. I'm also reminded, I often hear people talk about business and commercial enterprise and the dismissive of public investment and public spending. But I'd like to remind them that lots of the world's biggest corporations have relied for their growth on public spending. So just think about that. I remember writing a story some time ago about the developments at IBM and how it started off and how it developed. And of course, without US government public spending, IBM may not have grown to the business it became. There's a thought. Now, what happens in supply chains when something goes wrong? It's not always lethal, but in this specific case, it is. The World Health Organization said that syrups made by Indian manufacturer Maiden Pharmaceuticals contained lethal toxins, ethylene glycol and diethylene glycol. It's used in car brake fluid, and the ingredients can be used as a substitute for propylene glycol, which is a key base of syrup medicines, and they cost less than half the price. So when people are looking to make cost savings in a supply chain, and they're reducing cost in this way, it's clearly unethical, and it's clearly dangerous. This week, an unnamed middleman in Mumbai was said to have provided crucial raw materials used in Indian-made cough syrups that have been linked to the deaths of more than 70 children in Gambia. Most of the children that died were under the age of five, and they had acute kidney injuries within days of taking the syrup. The Indian drugs regulator told the World Health Organization back in December that propylene glycol used in the syrups came from Goal Palmer Chem, a Delhi-based pharma supplies company, and it was recorded as being imported from a South Korean manufacturer, SKC. It was bought in sealed barrels, not directly from SKC, but it's their product. Now, there's no suggestion that the supplier of the 
particular chemical have done anything wrong, but it's how it's been used that's the problem. Now, obviously, there's a paperwork trail here, and there'll be certificates of importation, and the regulatory authorities will have to investigate and come to a conclusion. So, that's what can happen when supply chains are not properly regulated, and people search for ways to cut costs, which are either unethical, illegal, or just downright dangerous. For the moment, everybody's gone quiet on this one. Another regional bank in the United States, First Republic, based in San Francisco, has gone into receivership this weekend, as its deposits slumped by more than 100 billion US dollars. The government regulator seized the bank earlier in the week. It's the third US bank to fall into receivership in the past few months. At its low point, the bank had a market capitalization of 557 million US dollars, Back in November 2021, it was valued at 40 billion US dollars. It's quite a fall, isn't it? You'd call that one falling off a cliff, I suppose. The FDIC, the Treasury Department and the Federal Reserve coordinated meetings with financial companies about a lifeline for the bank. But that doesn't seem to have happened. Not yet, indeed. It's in receivership. I suppose it's safe until they decide where it's headed next. It's unlikely to find the support from larger banks or private equity firms that's required to save the bank. Of course, there'll be large banks that have deposits with the bank, but there's no comment coming about that at this point. It tried to cut costs by cutting office space and laying off 25% of the workforce in the second quarter, but that hasn't worked. There are reports that the two largest Oil companies ExxonMobil and Chevron are generating cash from a booming oil and gas market. And they don't know what to do with it. They're falling over themselves to find things to use the cash for. Exxon's net hit $11.4 billion US dollars, while Chevron earned $6.6 billion. And it's expected to continue. Both have reduced debt incurred during the COVID-19 period as a result of the cash mountain and the balance sheets are strengthening. The net debt-to-capital ratio is about 4%, a fraction of the dollar-digit ratios of a few years ago. So, what next? Well, a piece of sad news hit my desk this week. It was uh, the closure of a company in the UK called The Book Depository. It was set up by an ex-Amazon employee back in 2004 to supply books and to compete with Amazon. In 2011... Amazon bought the company. So maybe that was always the intention of the ex-Amazon employee to sell it to his former employer. And certainly got paid a tidy sum for the company. But since 2011, it was supplying books in 160 countries worldwide, competitive pricing and free delivery. But this week it closed its doors for the final time and about 3,000 jobs in South Wales melted away as a consequence of the closure. So, the end of an era. I suppose in many respects it's a classic story, isn't it? A classic business story. You become a thorn in the side of a large corporation and they buy you out. And in doing so, they get rid of the competition. You see this story repeated time and again in businesses all over the world. Big tech companies continue to race to the future. Amazon, Alphabet, Microsoft, Google... 
all heavily investing in AI technologies, and they want to be first to their future to earn the profit streams from the promises that uh, are made by AI. Alphabet, Microsoft, Amazon, and Meta all reported quarterly results this week. And it's a tough market at the moment. They're looking at ways to improve efficiencies as economic recession is looming. But their efforts in artificial intelligence and investment in large language models that power products like ChatGPT are the future. And they don't want to be left behind. They know that if they're left behind, it will damage their profits and, of course, reputation. Generative AI is increasingly used to produce outputs as if they were made by humans. It might be a block of text, a snippet of code, or a computer-generated image. And to do this, they require specialised supercomputers that work at lightning speeds to gather the intelligence to produce the output. Alphabet CEO Sunday Pichai is under intense pressure to deliver AI products and to keep Google search engines ahead of the game. Sundar Pichai said this week they're making good progress towards their AI goals. Google is using AI to improve conversion rates on advertising and to reduce cost. They have two primary AI teams, one called Brain and one called DeepMind. It's using NVIDIA processors with graphic chips used to train and deploy the technology. Microsoft's OpenAI GPT technology is used in its Bing search engine. And Satya Nadella, the CEO, said that AI will eventually drive revenue growth. So a lot of investment going in, but no returns yet immediately. Microsoft's is said to have generated 200 million images through its Bing integration. Bing, of course, is the search engine on the Microsoft Edge. Amazon, meanwhile, Andy Jassy, the CEO, gave a lengthy response on Thursday to analyst questions and the company's generative AI plans. Amazon is building its own LLMs and designing data center chips for machine learning. Jassy said the market is massive. These large language models, the LLMs, generate AI capability. Although they've been around for a while, they're now pushing ahead at breakneck speed. The bigger, better, faster. Amazon's size alone would allow it to become one of the handful of companies building large language models. It takes a vast amount of computing power, of course, and these large, very costly microchips and these very high-powered microchips to run AI services. Amazon is focusing to use the technology on Amazon Web Services. And of course, for its voice technology, it could be invaluable. Things like Alexa. Mark Zuckerberg, the Meta CEO, is trying to deny that Meta is walking away from the Metaverse after turning attention to AI. And he wants to persuade investors that Meta can invest in the Metaverse technologies while simultaneously putting heavy investment into AI technology. He said it's a key theme for his company. He said they'll be working on a variety of products using AI technology, including chat experiences in WhatsApp, Facebook Messenger, Instagram, and video technology. So it's a case of watch this space. You might think you're talking to a human, but it's AI. Interestingly, all of this will have huge implications for supply chains and how we connect and 
communicate through those supply chains with partners, collaborators, customers and suppliers. AI promises to deliver major efficiencies in supply chains and it will become part of the normal strategic approach of organisations searching for ways to improve their supply chains in the next few years. AI is already being used in supply chains to improve performance, reduce cost and enhance resilience and to improve and optimise end-to-end supply chains. Some of the benefits that AI can assist with are better demand forecasting, production planning, increasing visibility and transparency across the whole supply chain, automated decision-making based on data and by machine learning in the processes, reducing the manual effort and uh, human errors that could creep in, and improving customer service by keeping them informed about delivery and performance. It can also manage algorithms to improve and lower environmental impacts, better transport planning, and so on. There are a number of challenges, of course, for AI, the data quality and the availability of that data, integration of systems across the whole supply chain, and whether it's trusted, of course, by people in the supply chain. There are ethical and social implications, as well as legal implications, that will emerge with greater use. Well, that's it for this week's News Roundup. I hope you've enjoyed the coverage, and I look forward to seeing you in the next episode of the Chain Reaction Podcast. There are many great episodes, of course, to catch up on, and when you've got a moment, why don't you just drop by to the Chain Reaction site and pick up some of those episodes and have a listen. I'm sure you'll be coming back for more. For now, I'm Tony Hines, I'm signing off, and I'll see you next time. Bye for now. The Chain Reaction Podcast is written, presented and produced by Tony Hines. Hi, I'm Tony Hines. I'm here to tell you about the Chain Reaction Podcast, all about supply chain advantage. I've been researching and writing about supply chains for over 25 years. I wrote my first book on supply chain strategies in the early 2000s. Each week we have special episodes on particular topics relating to supply chains. Now we have a weekly news roundup every Saturday at 12 noon. All things impacting global supply chains in that week. So come and join us on the Chain Reaction Podcast. I look forward to seeing you there. I'm Tony Hines. I'm signing off. Bye for now.